So you recall, is, is, and as we have discovered going through 2 Corinthians thus far, that Paul the Apostle has been discussing the validity of his ministry. Because there are those in Corinth who were questioning Paul, kind of holding him out at arm's length. They were always that way with Paul the Apostle, this church. And there were those that were coming in, and they would get the believers to question his apostolic authority. And some of them were actually uh, were reacting very negatively to Paul, his letters that he had written to them, because those letters were corrective letters. And we know that 2 Corinthians is actually historically the fourth letter that Paul wrote to them. It's the, the second book that we have in the canon of scripture, but we know that Paul wrote to them at other times. And when Paul wrote that correction to them, to a church that was struggling with carnality and division and all of this, we know that there are those who were, were questioning his authority as an apostle. There are those who were being negative towards Paul the apostle. And we have seen that Paul, in this last letter that he would write to them that we know about, he is opening up his heart in, uh, to them. He's expressing his love for them. And you recall that in chapter 2, verse 4, he wrote, For out of much affliction and anguish of, uh, anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. So Paul has been sharing with these Christians here at Corinth about his ministry. He says that we ministered with real integrity when we came to you. We've ministered with you with honesty, the honesty of the truth of the gospel, the honesty of God's word, and we've come with simplicity, preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we also have come to you as servants. We're here to serve you. And it's interesting that Paul, there were times that he would receive support from the Christians when they felt led to support him. But here the church of Corinth never supported Paul, even though the church grew very quickly, even though Paul stayed for an extended period of time in Corinth for for what uh, he would stay in the city. He stayed in Corinth longer than any other city with the exception of Ephesus. But yet he remained in, uh, in Corinth making tents. He never received support from them so that he could serve them and not stumble them in any way. He was more concerned about their spiritual well-being. And here is Paul. He, he talks about, you know that I came to you in that way and I've ministered with real integrity and real honesty and simplicity. We didn't preach ourselves, but we preached the Lord and we came to serve you. And Paul has described to us in this epistle and in this chapter, chapter 4, the difficulties and the sufferings that he had gone through in his ministry. And you recall that last week, if you're with us, that in verse 8 of the chapter, that he would write that we are hard-pressed on every side, and we ended our study in chapter 4 by Paul telling us that even though we go through hard times and we go through difficult days, the light and the glory of Jesus Christ is made manifest through us because we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So Paul is sharing, hey, we are going through it, but it's for a purpose. It's for the glory of God. And, and God wants to show himself, that is his light, 
coming through us, the reality of Jesus Christ being seen in us, even through the difficulties and the hardships that you go through. So he has been explaining that. And so picking up our text at verse 16 of chapter 4, again, 2 Corinthians, we read, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So on the outside, we're suffering. And we're taking a real beating. But on the inside, God is blessing and renewing us. And Paul, in his letter to the Christians, we get an idea, and specifically in this epistle, of the heavy things that he went through. We also know the difficulties that he went through as you read about his missionary journeys in the book of Acts. He went through much persecution and sufferings. And Paul went through those things, and as he did, it left a real... Um, you know, physical scars on him and, and problems. And of course, we're going to read about his thorn in the flesh later in this epistle in chapter 12. And in chapter 11, he's going to tell us uh, some of the things very specifically, the sufferings that he went through as he was ministering the gospel to the Gentiles, as he made his journeys throughout the Roman Empire. It would leave Paul weak physically. But through all the sufferings, they recognized that God was doing that inward work of strengthening Paul. It was such a, a work of richness in Paul. The strength, the character that was built within Paul was truly uh, something that he can look at and say that underneath it all, through the sufferings, that God is blessing. And it would be that the light of Jesus Christ was manifesting through Paul, the reality of Jesus, and it would benefit the church. Yes, my outward man has taken a beating, but inwardly God has renewed us day by day and done a wonderful work in our souls that has produced depth and character and godly strength. He continues in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You know, all of us go through difficult days and trying times. And if you go through a difficult time, let's say that maybe you're sick, my wife Sue was sick this week, uh, and, and uh, one night this week she was really sick with a stomach flu, and whenever any of us go through that, it seems like an eternity, doesn't it? It just seems like such a long time as we go through that sickness. It's when we're feeling well and we're tired and we go right to bed that all of a sudden, you know, uh, that time goes by very, very fast. But if we go through any kind of sickness or we go through any kind of, of trials or difficulties or there's burdens that weigh on our minds, that plague our minds, it seems like it can be such a long day, a long night. But that can be stretched out. Let's say we're going through it maybe a physical infirmity, maybe we're going through you know, some kind of, of difficulty, some, some sort, whatever it might be for us. Maybe it happens for a week or for a month or maybe for a year or 10 years, maybe even a lifetime. And Paul certainly went through his share of difficulties physically and spiritually and emotionally. But he says that to God it's but for a moment in comparison to eternity. And notice that Paul says here that our light affliction, when I look at my life and the difficulties that I've gone through and the difficulties that I've gone through in ministry, they are nothing like what Paul the Apostle went through. I mean, he was kicked and he was beaten and he was flogged and he was left for dead. He was in prison, he was robbed, uh, he was shipwrecked, he went through all these things. And then the spiritual burdens that he bore were tremendous. And yet he says these light afflictions are but for a moment. 
And you see, the apostle could say that because he has an eternal perspective on things, and that's what he's bringing out to us. Hey, in comparison to eternity and the glory that awaits, these are light afflictions, and they're only for a moment, as he continues writing in verse 17, and it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So often when we go through suffering, we get our eyes on the temporal, don't we? On the circumstances. And we can lose sight of the eternal. We forget that God has a glorious, eternal plan for us and destination for us. The glory that God has in store for us is greater than any affliction that we can go through. And yes, it is hard when we go through those times. It is difficult. It is pressing on us. Yet our affliction is only for a moment when we do compare it to eternity, when we compare it to heaven. It hurts in this life. But in those times, we need to remember the eternal. We need to live for eternity. We need to, in other words, prioritize the eternal. Paul says we don't look at the things that are seen, but rather we look at the things that are not seen, the eternal and the glory of the eternal. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it tells us that if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The question for us this morning that we need to ask ourselves is what is it that we're focusing on? in our lives, day by day, in our afflictions, in our difficulties? What is it that we are prioritizing? So oftentimes it is just the circumstances or the temporal. And we need to ask God to help us to begin to recognize and to begin to remember and to prioritize the eternal, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who will bring us to that point where we know that as he promised us, of eternal glory. And as we move into chapter 5, that's what Paul's going to continue with that theme. Contrasting between the earthly and the eternal, as chapter 5 now, we read in verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So Paul getting us to now focus on the eternal. He says, I, I want to remind you of something that's very important. As he talks about, as we face, all of us will face death. And we, Paul says, face death for the cause of Jesus Christ. It didn't really bring fear to Paul because he had a correct understanding of death. And I think that it's very, very important and imperative that we have a correct understanding of what death is as a Christian, as a child of God. And it's when we don't have a correct understanding and perspective of death for the Christian, we can hear things like, oh, it's such a tragedy that they died, or what a shame that they, they ended up dying. And I understand that it can be perhaps concerning the circumstances, a tragedy, or, you know, difficult, or, um, you know, we look at it and we think, what a shame, or whatever it might be. But even though we grieve for those who die, certainly, for loved ones, for friends, people that we care about. We need to keep this in our hearts. For the Christian, death is not a tragedy. And death is not a shame. It's not the end. 
And Paul the Apostle had a proper perspective of death, and that's what he's writing about. He wants us to as well. He had an eternal perspective, and even though he knew that he faced death, he really didn't fear it, because he knew that if our earthly tent, our house, this, this body that is you know, that we have, that when it is destroyed, we have a building from God, a a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So Paul realizes that the real me, the real you, is spiritual. And I dwell in this body, this house, and he reduces it down to a tent. And even though this tent, this body, is going to wear out someday, it's flesh and blood, it's temporary, My spirit lives on. And Paul here is given us very important truth that we will receive a new building from God, a new house that is a heavenly body. So Paul says we know as Christians that we know that we belong to the kingdom of God. When I am sharing the good news, the gospel with unbelievers, I ask them sometimes when I talk to them, well, I don't believe in God. I don't know if there is a God. I ask them, if you were to die today, do you know where you're going? And sometimes when you ask that question at the right time to the right people, it will really shake them up. There are some people that walk around and thinking, oh, you can believe anything, and I'm going to go to heaven. We're all going to end up in eternal bliss. But for those who who really question God, who really struggle with, with the, you know, believing it's their God or I'm not sure, you can ask them, if you were to die, because all of us are going to die, Do you know where you would go? And that can really shake them to the core because they cannot know for certain. Do you know where you're going? Can you say that that you're going to go to heaven? There is a heaven. They don't know. And tomorrow isn't promised to any of us at all. And so we know as Christians, as we have faith, as we know from the Word of God, that we will be ushered into eternity. Actually, everyone's going to be ushered into eternity. For the unbeliever who has rejected Jesus Christ into outer darkness. For you and I as Christians who have asked Jesus into our hearts and and we've surrendered our lives to him, that we know we will usher into the eternal kingdom of heaven. And we can know that with certainty because we know God's word is certain. We have faith in God's word and what he has told us and what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has conquered the grave. He has risen from the grave. We have the hope of heaven, don't we? And we know God's word declares that, and we can know that if this earthly house that we are in, this tent, and it interests me, that Paul calls our bodies a tent. And I kind of like that, because we can relate to that. We can relate to our bodies being kind of like a tent. Uh, You don't think of a tent as a permanent place to live. It is something that is very temporary when you think about a tent. And many of us, perhaps you're looking forward already with this warm weather that we've been having and spring being here. Maybe you're looking forward. I know that, that me and my family are, that we're going to go camping up in the mountains. And, and many of us, when we go camping up in the mountains, I know the kids will probably do this, they put up a tent. And we know that when we put up a tent that is temporary, it's not a permanent structure that we live in for the rest of our lives. But a tent is only good for a certain amount of time, a limited time. Because as you do go and you camp in a tent or whatever it might be, the days pass, the tent begins to sag. All of a sudden a stake pops up and 
dirt gets tracked into it and there's bugs all over the place after a while and so forth. And so we should look at our bodies as tents. They're not permanent dwelling places for my spirit. Um, my spirit is dwelling in this body, camping out in this earthly tent while my house is being prepared in heaven. And as the years go by, my tent is more and more wearing out. It's beginning to sag. I've lost a few pegs and stakes along the way. And one day, this earthly tent will be destroyed. And that word destroyed in the original language means to strike and down. The tent will be taken down no more. And we will receive a permanent house with God, not made from hands, from human hands. And it will suit the environment of heaven, and it will last for all eternity. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, telling us concerning the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new that is so wonderful that's a promise no more pain no more sickness no more death when we get our new heavenly celestial bodies in heaven it would be Jesus that would say to his disciples right before he went to the cross there in the upper room in John chapter 14 he said in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you and I go and prepare a place for you and the original Greek the word mansion is better translated dwelling place and so many Christians who hear that verse immediately picture a mansion a huge you know estate beverly hills you know mansion or something like that with large columns and swimming pools and i've even heard it taught that way and that's what's going to be you know like when we get to heaven and god's going to lead me to the corner you know of glory lane and hallelujah boulevard <laughs> and we're going to have this beautiful mansion and house for me to live in this new mansion I hate to kind of disappoint you, but I don't think that is what Jesus was talking about at all. You see, when this tent wears out or quits, is destroyed, I will move into the eternal and receive a new body, a new dwelling place, not made with hands, but a building from God, eternal in the heavens. An earthly body that we have now is temporal. The heavenly body that we're going to receive is eternal. And you see, salvation is, isn't just for the soul or the spirit, but is for the body as well. And as Paul was writing quite extensively about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he was explaining to them about the resurrection, how because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that now we have the hope of the resurrection as well. And we are going to be resurrected, having new celestial bodies, that will be heavenly bodies. And so when we talk about the resurrection, it's not only talking about eternal life, but it's talking about eternal life and new heavenly bodies. Paul was a tent maker by trade. And he knew that no matter how well you made a tent, it's going to wear out eventually. No matter how many push-ups that we might do, or miles that we might run, or vitamin pills that we might take, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of ourselves to the best that we can. We should, and we want to do that. But all of us know that our bodies are going to wear out someday. But we don't need to despair because we have a hope. We have a living hope, as Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we will get a new body and glorified body that is awaiting us in heaven. 
So the mansion that Jesus is talking about is the new body that I will get. So if you ever read in the obituary that Pastor Jeff Figgs died yesterday, Pastor of Calvary Chapel, da-da-da-da-da, it's really not accurate. The truth is, if they're going to really report the truth, they will have to print, Pastor Jeff Figgs passed away and he moved yesterday from a worn-out tent into a beautiful new mansion. And that's the perspective that Paul the Apostle had. He had that eternal perspective. And he goes on saying in verse 2, For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. As we get older, we realize the limitations of our bodies. Certainly we do. We know that our bodies are getting older, that they're wearing out, and we groan. The older I get, the more I groan. Remember some of us that are old enough, remember that commercial years ago that said, you're not getting older, you're getting better? <laughs> well, maybe in some ways we're getting better, but we are getting older and we groan more because we're rushing towards eternity. And Paul says, look, we earnestly desire to be clothed with our habitation, our dwelling, which is from heaven, our eternal body, which is going to be so spectacular and they won't wear out. And verse 3, if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Paul's setting the record straight because there were some misunderstandings in Paul's day, just as there are today. We groan because our tent, our bodies are wearing out, but when we go to heaven, we won't be disembodied spirits for all eternity. He says in verse 3, you won't be found naked. You see, the Greeks, they were wrong. They said that, that to be a bodiless spirit was the highest level of existence. They thought, and they even wrote about how the body was a prison for the soul. So in the afterlife, we're going to be free from all that. And that is why when Paul in Acts chapter 17 was talking to the philosophers there in Athens on Mars Hill, that when he mentioned the resurrection, that most of them mocked him. Because they thought the whole idea of the resurrection was something that you do not want to embrace. That you want to be free from your body and all of this. And then today, as you look at Eastern religions and, and all of this, uh, as you look at Buddhism and, and Taoism and, and, and Hinduism and all of this, there's all kinds of ideas. Buddha who taught that the highest level was, for us, nirvana. The state of a snuffed-out candle, which means that that you're freed up from all things materially and you become part of this cosmic bliss and you, you know, completely lose your identity and all of this, whatever that means. Buddha was wrong. Paul tells us the truth. That we're not going to be disembodied ghosts. Now, we don't really know all that much about the state of our resurrected bodies, except that we know that it will be designed for heaven no more sickness, no more sorrow, that, that it's going to be for eternity. Just as we can't fully understand what heaven is going to be like on this side of eternity, we know it's going to be so glorious, so wonderful, so, so incredible that we can't even imagine it. So here Paul talking about the new heavenly bodies, what the promise is given to us that we will get. And I suspect that it will be, as Paul says something, he gives us little hints that it is going to be glorious. It's going to be so beautiful, so marvelous. And that's why he says that we earnestly desire that. 
You don't have to worry about if you're here today that I, I like my body. I, I like my you know, body now. You may think that now, but just wait a few years or wait a few decades. <laughs> That'll change. And I can guarantee you're not going to miss your earthly body. It's going to be more glorious than new heavenly bodies. And so here, as Paul is saying that, I earnestly desire to be clothed with that heavenly habitation. You and I should be as well. In verse 5, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So God preparing us for our eternal destiny, and in the meantime, he's given us a guarantee, or that word means a down payment, or earnest, or actually that word here for, for guaranteed has also the meaning of an engagement ring. So the idea of earnest, and we talked about this just recently in our study, that we have a down payment to Holy Spirit, an earnest, um, and whenever you put a down payment or earnest on something, it's because you are purchasing that, that thing. We give an engagement ring to someone that is serious about, you know, we are about marrying. And so Paul's reminding us that we can rest and know that we one day are going to be in eternity. We belong to God because we have that down payment of the Holy Spirit. God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, and then His Spirit will testify to our spirit that we are the sons and daughters of the living God, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, as He writes in the book of Romans, that we belong to Him. And you can kind of sense that. You know those special times, and again, it's getting warm. And you can take a walk outside and you know, where it's warm, or perhaps when you're sitting at night and looking at the stars, and, and maybe you enjoy doing that if you have opportunity to do that, and you just look at the vastness of heaven, the awesomeness of it, and you think, Lord, your glory does declare, you know, the heavens do declare your glory, and, and you just get touched by the Lord. You ever have those times where you think about heaven, you think about what it's going to be like, and the Lord's just touching you and speaking to you. I think that's just a little down payment he's reminding you, that, that engagement ring of what you know, he has promised to us, that we're going to go to heaven, and it's going to be ecstatic, and it's, we're going to be totally elated. That down payment that we have, that we belong to him, and it reminds us of the coming attractions. He's given it to us now, so we begin to say that I look forward to eternity. The work of the Spirit given us a taste of, a hint of what lies ahead. In verse 6, we are also confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Verse 8 is a verse you might want to underline. That you are comforted by this and be able to bring comfort to others. The presence of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life gave him confidence. It gave him assurance that God was working with him and would continue that work, and it's going to finish that work, and it's the same with us. And now as we are in these earthly bodies, we are absent from the Lord when these tents, you know, are absent from the Lord. That is, we're not in heaven with him right now. Now we understand that he is with us, yes. And he lives in us. Christ dwells in our hearts. He promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. But we're not with him in the way that we're going to be when we go to heaven. And when we go to heaven, we will see him face to face. We will hear his voice audibly. Paul is telling us as we are in these bodies, in these tents, that's not what's happening. Now we walk by faith, not by sight. The presence of God in our lives is a matter of faith. We have 
an awareness that God is here, yet we don't see him. But we can be confident that when our bodies do wear out, that we will be present with the Lord. Paul is confident in part because of the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Christians will ask, what exactly happens to the believer when they die? We know that we will leave these bodies. That the day will come when we'll have new resurrected bodies. That's what we've covered so far. But plainly speaking, we can be confident that to be absent from the body means that we are immediately with the Lord. So when I was with my dad just about two years ago, to the very day, when my dad passed away, I knew that when he took his last breath when I was with him and he closed his eyes, that immediately he went to be with the Lord because he was a believer in the Lord. And great comfort it brought to me. And I've been with different brothers and sisters many times. They have taken their last breath. And I know that when they do, that they're immediately with the Lord. And I am comforted by that. And I can bring comfort to their family, knowing that the Bible promises to be absent from the body. When your spirit leaves, that you're immediately with the Lord. Now, there are some false teachings in this whole area that I want to make sure that you don't get confused concerning those those things. There are those who have the whole idea of soul sleep. That is, when a believer dies, they don't become a ghost, a disembodied spirit, but they simply sleep in a grave, and they sleep until the time of the rapture of the church, First Thessalonians chapter 4. But in the grave, the person just sleeps. Now, we know that our bodies will sleep, when that body is put in the grave, when we watch that loved one who is a believer, their body is put in the grave, their body sleeps until the resurrection, which is the rapture of the church, but they are with the Lord. That's the promise of the scripture. But there are those who come along and say, no, they're soul sleeping, and they will soul sleep until the rapture of the church. Not only their body sleeping, but their souls, their spirits sleeping as well. And they will point to the book of Job in chapter 14, that Job says, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. And they say, see, their soul sleep. But here's the thing you need to remember about the book of Job. Job said a lot of things in his troubles and struggles and wrestling with questions that were not accurate. And then God comes along and and said, Job, what do you know? What do you know? Where were you when I made the heavens? Do you know anything about how I did that? Have the gates of death been opened to you? And the answer is no. In other words, God was saying, Job, on these matters, you're mistaken. You don't understand. So to try to make doctrine out of the book of Job, where he was talking from a state of confusion and wrestling and wondering, is not wise. See, in Job, you see the reality of a godly man expressing his struggles and questions and thoughts. But to make doctrine out of what much he said is shaky at best. Because God comes on the scene at the end of the book and says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So those who teach soul sleep, and they're out there, they will make reference to Job. But Paul very specifically, and we know in other places, as he says here, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we can be comforted by that. We know that Paul in another place, 
that he would say to the Philippian church. He didn't know whether he was going to be executed at that time in his first imprisonment in Rome. And he says, you know, I'm trusting in the Lord. The Lord has a plan. And he says, I'm between two opinions. If I end up living and I get released, it's better for you. But if I was to die, it's gain for me. In other words, I get to go be with the Lord. He didn't say, for me to die is the soul sleep. You remember that as we will see at the end of this epistle, he will write about that person that was taken up in the third heaven. I believe he's talking about himself. We will see very specifically as we get there. He says, I know men that was caught up in the third heaven, and I saw things that, that were unlawful for me to speak about. And perhaps he's referring to that time on his first missionary journey that he was stoned and left for dead, but he was taken up into heaven. We know that as Jesus, remember, he said to the thief on the cross who was crucified next to him, Jesus said as he turned to that thief who had acknowledged Jesus' kingship, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today before the sun has set, you'll be with me in paradise. He did not say, well, you're going to sleep for a while and then you're going to be with me. He said before the sun has set, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I believe that you cannot develop the doctrine of soul sleep from the Word of God. Because the Word of God tells us very plainly to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. Also, there are those who are out there, those of the Catholic faith that believe in purgatory. I grew up in the Catholic faith. And there are those who believe and are taught, to many of them, that we'll go to a place purgatory until we're more worthy to go to heaven to be with the Lord, or somebody will pray you out. There's still absolence in all of this that you have to spend time taking care of. And I remember talking to my grandfather that really believed that he was going to go to purgatory until he was able to go to heaven, however long that might take. It really saddens me when I talk to a loved one, when I talk to a friend that I really care about, that, that believes that there's a purgatory and that's where they're going to go, it saddens me. Because the whole idea of purgatory is, is found nowhere, nowhere in the scriptures. And the idea of it is totally against what the Word of God has to say about the good news of the gospel, that all of the punishment and all of the penalty for your sins and my sins was put upon Jesus as he hung on that cross uh, at Calvary, and he paid the price completely. He paid the price totally. We come and we recognize that. We can't save ourselves. And the price has been paid. He cried out, it is finished. There is forgiveness now. I've done the work. As I've done it on the cross of Calvary. And the doctrine of purgatory is a complete attack on the grace of God and the Word of God. There is no purgatory, folks. We are made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there are these false ideas about eternity or going to heaven, and we are told very clearly so we can know and be comforted to be absent from the body is not to be in purgatory. It is to be with the Lord in the presence of the Lord in heaven. There's no soul sleep. Now, there are those who say, okay, when is that going to happen? When are we going to get our new resurrected body? So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but the resurrection is going to happen, Scripture tells us, at, at the rapture of the church. 
And Paul was talking to the believers at Thessalonica about that because some of the believers had died before Jesus came back. They were confused about that and they thought that somehow that they wouldn't be a part of the kingdom of God that would be set up here on earth. And so Paul says, I don't want you, brethren, to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Yes, we do sorrow, but we don't sorrow as though we have no hope. He says, I don't want you to sorrow as though you have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you and by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and in dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord and so thus we will always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Yes, your loved ones are going to be resurrected at the sound of that trumpet, the rapture of the church, and that's when we'll get our new resurrected bodies. It's clear from the text. And then those you know, who previously died, don't worry about them. And Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So how exactly it all works, I don't know. But I do know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that the rapture of the church, which I believe is going to happen soon anyway, we're going to get our new resurrected body. What happens in the meantime? I'm not sure. There's all kinds of speculation that's out there. There's all kinds of theories and things like that. But the important thing for you to remember and for me is that we have the hope of heaven. We have the promise of heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you or I or we have a loved one that is in the Lord, when they take their last breath, you can be comforted that they're with the Lord and that we're going to get new resurrected bodies when we hear the sound of the trumpet. And so... We can be sure that, in verse 9, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. So in light of eternity, Paul says we ought to please God with our lives. So you, you can follow the flow of the apostle. Uh, our ministry is valid. We can preach in Jesus Christ and him crucified. We don't preach ourselves. And because of this ministry that he's called us to, we have been hard-pressed on every side. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the glory that awaits us is in eternity in heaven is far more glorious and wonderful than the light affliction that we're experiencing presently. Our lives are but for a moment, but when this tent of mine is destroyed, I have a new building that waits for me in heaven that when I die, I'm going to be present with the Lord. And because of that, knowing that life is short and that we're rushing towards eternity, then be pleasing to him and how you live. So Paul now, in the rest of the chapter, he's going to talk about this. Because of light of all of this, here is... Some great motivation, some motivating reasons why we want to live to please him now. It's a very wonderful study. It's a powerful study. And we're going to see why Paul was able to, what motivated him to continue to minister and to serve the Lord and to walk with the Lord, even in the difficulties, even in the sufferings and afflictions of the eternal perspective. But to understand, here's some motivation why we and I, you and I, 
that we should be doing the same thing, and it's going to be greatly encouraging to you. Warren Worsby said that heaven is not only a destination, but it's a motivation. And so he's going to remind us of that as we will continue next time in this chapter. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful, encouraging words that are given to us here in the scriptures, that we have a promise of eternity that's given to us to those who have come to Jesus Christ, knowing that it's not found in anything else or anyone else. That Jesus Christ alone, the Son of God, came to this world, lived a perfect life, went to the cross of Calvary, and died for every single one of us as all of our sins were placed upon him. As he took and bore our sin upon himself, and he cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. And we're going to be reminded, even as we continue in this epistle, that, that our faith, our belief, uh, our knowing uh, that we have the hope of heaven isn't based on what we do, it's based on what he did. And coming and recognizing that and surrendering our lives to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, giving him our hearts as we come in faith who he is and what he did for us. And we know just as we sang this morning that he rose from the grave, the tomb is empty, in two weeks we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he conquered sin and he conquered death. And now, as Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, because Jesus rose from the grave, we have the hope of the resurrection. It's not just being with the Lord. Yes, we are, and that's glorious in itself, but we are going to have our tents our bodies that are going to be resurrected into new heavenly bodies. We thank you for that, Lord. And I just want to pray for anybody that is here this morning that maybe you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He is our salvation. It's not found in anyone else or in anything else. It, is, it comes by you coming in faith. Believe in what the scripture declares, the good news, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. And then as you come and as you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's a promise of scripture. And today is the day of salvation. It's today because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. Open up your heart to Jesus if you've never done that. We want to give you opportunity. We do that at every service. Opportunity for you to know that heaven awaits, that you can become a child of God as you open up your heart. You pray right where you're sitting. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior personally. I turn to you. I turn away from the world. I turn to you. I surrender my heart to you. I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me. Thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me because I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And I believe that you died for my sins. Wash me clean with the blood of Jesus Christ. And I believe that you were put into a grave and you rose again from the grave and you're alive. And you, through the Holy Spirit, that you're touching my heart right now, I open my heart to you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you are here and you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to raise your hand, even if you're out in the coffee shop, anybody at this service at this time today, coming to Jesus Christ, anybody at all. If you're out in the coffee shop, just raise your hand as well. 
Father, we thank you for this time this morning. And I pray for all of us that we would keep that eternal perspective in our hearts. That, Lord, that you would just help us to remember that eternity waits for us. And for us who are going through light afflictions or difficulties, Lord, I pray that you would be our help and our strong tower and our strength. That you would work that inner beauty and